have a special guest on the phone, and we have a special guest in the studio, and we have you on the phones. Don't worry, we will get to you. Don't give up, and don't hang up. Um, joining us in studio right now is David Honick. He's the chief counsel of Florida's NAACP. He's also president of the Minority Telecommunications Council. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for waking up early. It's not that early if you were in Florida. It would be 820. 820. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, of course, you were up on California time. Um, you know, I know that um, the NAACP in Florida is obviously involved um, with the Trayvon Martin case. And there's been a lot of talk about how, you know, the feds really... Do, may not have a case because um, there may not be provable civil rights or hate crime uh, violations here. What's your take on that? There's a civil rights case both uh, as a criminal matter and as a civil matter. The case needs to be criminally prosecuted. Uh, on March 12th, we wrote to the Attorney General and asked that the Justice Department investigate the case, send the Community Relations Service down. In 10 minutes after they got that request, they called and granted it. They had feet on the ground the next day. I think that's uh, encouraging because it reminds us of why we elected this president. Uh, because he used to be a civil rights lawyer, and uh, he was superb, and his administration was superb in reacting to this the right way and very fast. But we also asked that this police chief be fired. Yesterday, uh, he temporarily resigned. I think that's probably going to be permanent. Because, my goodness, how can you have uh, someone confessing right on the spot, standing over the body, um, and not even do a toxicology test, not do uh, a drug test? Just let the person go. They don't know. We're not even sure they know where he is. So the third thing we wanted, and we really need the community to support the NAACP on this, is to get this in front of a grand jury and let the grand jury use the opportunity to indict the shooter and let justice prevail if a crime occurred. Now, there is a local person here uh, who has a radio show, not on this station, who says, and there's, there are others that take this position, that this is not a criminal matter, but apparently you vehemently disagree. Oh, yes, it's a criminal matter. Um, why? Uh, what's your justification for saying that? Much of Aside the, from the, the, the fact common that there's, a there's an urban legend <laughs> that says that this Florida stand your ground law allows a person to say, "Well, it was in self-defense," and then you have to have no reasonable doubt, which and there was no one there except the two people, and there are some telephone calls, so it'd be too hard to prosecute. No, it's not. Stand your ground is a horrible law, but it's not really relevant here. In fact, the House sponsor of the bill said nothing in that law authorizes you to pursue and confront. Mr. Zimmerman pursued the person who he was um, looking at as being suspicious basically because of his race um, and, and almost hunted him down. You can't confront someone and be the aggressor and jump out of your truck with a gun and then say, oh, I shot him in self-defense, even under that law. So there really, it's, it's the, whether you can win, you never know. But certainly it's the sort of thing that routinely should be prosecuted and it's just astounding that you wouldn't have a prosecution here. I really thought when this arrived on my desk that I was back in the 1950s and it was a lynching. And they just let the person go. I thought those days were over. They're not. Let's go to James from Torrance. Good morning, James. Uh, uh, oh, wait a minute. Before we do that, I, I have a special guest on the phone. He is um, actually a member of 
a group that I'm now a member of called the Black Media Alliance that's pushing for uh, less racism and sexism on the air. Hopefully we'll one day get to none. And uh, more diversity of hiring. Um, and a particular super large media chain. Uh, he's also um, Judge Kevin Ross on TV. Good m- morning, Kevin Ross. Thanks for checking in. Mr. Ross, are you there? Okay, let's get ourselves together here, technically. Let's try that again. Kevin Ross, are you with us? I am, I am. Good morning. That? Call me MacGyver. How are you? I am great, Dominique. Thank you so much for having me here on Front Page. Well, it's great to have you on, and it you know it's been um, it's been interesting because we've been talking about Trayvon Martin concurrently uh, with the issues that we're fighting in in media, and you know because I think a lot of us feel like what happens on the air can create an environment. Um, certainly, Alex Nogales. Um, from the Hispanic Media Coalition made that point in front of the city council as all of us went before the LA City Council um, the other day. You want to talk about that? Well, you know, I've actually been following this Trayvon Martin case and you know, before I had an opportunity to be uh, the judge in America's court, which is actually in Los Angeles here on KCAL, in fact, it's going to be on this morning at 9 o'clock, I was a prosecutor here in Los Angeles for eight years, and then I was a member of the Los Angeles Judiciary for seven years. And the thing that I'm I'm finding fascinating about how this whole conversation about Trayvon Martin and free speech and how they uh, intersect is when you're a prosecutor, part of your role is to actually file cases as well as try them in a court of law. And in many instances, I would have situations where um, there were dictates that said, oh, no, you cannot uh, reject this case. This case needs to be filed. And, and the fact of the matter is oftentimes, as a prosecutor, you want to win. And the standard is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And yet there are some circumstances that are, are so important and, and send a bigger message that even when you felt as though what they would consider to be a dog case, um, depending on who the prosecutor was, you certainly had the mindset of, you know, we need to try this case anyway. And that's how I'm looking at this Trayvon Martin case. Um, David made an excellent point about the stand-your-ground laws, uh, but just based on the, the facts that you can say, can you prove this beyond a reasonable doubt? When you look at the 911 call, when you look at um, George Zimmerman appear, appearing to approach this young man and the eyewitnesses and the circumstantial evidence, I think a prosecutor will certainly be able to build a strong case to present to a jury. Now, I, I think the question becomes... A criminal case. Right, a criminal case. And, and see, oftentimes what people don't recognize is, you know, I, I handle small claims cases uh, on, in, in the courtroom on television. But many instances when people file civil cases, that's just part of the process because then you've got to get that judgment. So if you look at someone like a George Zimmerman, uh, does he have uh, any sort of financial assets uh, that can be, that can be uh, attacked? in a civil matter. And when you have a criminal conviction, it makes that civil case even stronger. Well, apparently he has a gun in a car, Kevin. I'm sorry, say it again? I said apparently he has a gun in a car. 
No, I'm saying from a standpoint... Are those assets? Can we take those? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the reality is this this family is going to try to, which I can't even fathom, you know, being the father of two boys, but they're going to try to have, um, make the argument that there's some sort of financial amount that could possibly, which we know that that's impossible, but that could possibly compensate them. And, and for me, that would be in the millions. Um, I don't get the sense that George Zimmerman has those tor- sorts of, of, of assets available. No. So now you start looking at can the homeowners association be sued for allowing him to engage in this sort of vigilante activism? Uh, can the can the city can you know that attorney? Which for me it was great to see an African American attorney actually representing the family. And uh, when Najee Ali was organizing the protest in Lemur Park yesterday, I told Najee, make sure you get that point across. It's great for all of us to be enraged. The reality is that when you have oftentimes people of color as cops, as probation officers, as judges, as prosecutors, uh, we get to play a role in the actual uh, seeing through of justice. And, And the fact of the matter is there are so many people of color who would make phenomenal lawyers? Who and and we do and judges. we do see things differently. We have a different perspective because we we're living a different life, and that's our, our whole point—not our whole point, but a big part of our point about what's going on on the airways, really nationally. When you look at the talk radio landscape, it's very slanted toward a very far-right conservative agenda. It's very slanted toward um, hate mongering toward women, toward. Latinos, toward African Americans, toward Asians. And that creates an environment which makes it easier for a Trayvon Martin incident to occur. Uh, David, do you want to weigh in on that? David Honig. It's very hard to pin a particular crime on a particular host that someone heard and then they said go do this speech in huge volumes creates a vo- uh, creates the the kindling that sometimes lights itself up as hate crimes the basic premise of broadcasting is that advertising works because a message is conveyed is repeated is emphasized and people go buy the product if the product is hate uh, then it's not surprising uh, that you'd get a spike in hate crimes the FBI does an annual report on hate crimes and the 2010 when the last one I think is very troubling there were 3,725 racial hate crimes reported that year probably about three times that many for real that many nationwide know what percentage of those were 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 against African Americans 70 percent it's stunning. Why? Not stunning, African but Americans. stunning. Yeah. I wish someone would explain. I just it's it's stunning to me. Well, I think we have a lot of people probably on the phone that could explain it to you. Um, Kevin, do you want to stay on the phone with us? You know, I just want to check in and say thank you for your for your work in, in this um, whole public media conversation because something that you said being a mother, um, you know, it's what, I, I'm a father, so I know how I would feel with with a son. But when you said something about being a mother and that perspective needing to be heard, uh, I think that that for me that that left an impression because women really have a different mindset on issues like this, and I think it just needs to be important that we have more diversity on those airways. So I, I join you in that in that fight, and I support you and the Black Media Alliance in every respect. Well, Kevin, I know you you, you got to get to work, but um, tell us again when we find your show. 
So it's America's Court with Judge Ross, KCAL 9, here in Los Angeles on Channel 9 at 9 a.m. And please like us on Facebook. I check in from time to time. And we're also on Twitter at America's Court. Uh, we're nationally syndicated. And you can also catch us on Netflix. And uh, I'm working with Byron Allen over at Entertainment Studios, an African-American gentleman who's doing a lot of good things in the community as it relates to hiring folks. And uh, so it's just uh, we're having a great time. And you're going to have to come down sometime and check us out. Maybe Definitely. Can... Byron Allen is, I call him the real um, Tyler Perry because he's he's a mogul that no one knows about. And he's still, that's the thing about Doing it. Sometimes you got to stay below the radar. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. But I hope you don't stay behind the radar. We will check you out on TV today, KCAL 9, 9 o'clock. All right, you guys have a great day. All right, good to talk with you, Kevin. You Bye-bye. I'm going to hit these phones and uh, let's go to Karen from Los Angeles. Good morning, Karen. You're on the radio. Welcome. Hello. Yes. Hi, Karen. Yes. Hi. My problem is why nobody is saying that it could not be self-defense. He had no weapon. I haven't heard that said at all, that he had no weapon. How could it be self-defense against a big yeah, right. Man. You've got a 200 and what? 40-pound man against a 160-pound okay. child. And, okay. and also the man was in his car when he called the police, so he could have just driven away. I mean, how is it self-defense when you follow okay. someone? I think, uh, David Honig, I think you were making that point. Yeah. Okay, uh, you know, and, and, and repeatedly talking about uh, whether or not it's a hate crime or not, it was murder. Yeah, well, well, you care. The reason we talk about repeatedly whether it's a hate crime is because murder, if it's a hate crime, it, you know, it's an enhanced prosecution, right? Think about why it is that cancer for many people is so much more fearful than, say, dying in an auto accident or falling out of a building and so forth. It's because cancer's inherent cruelty is that there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing in your lifestyle. It just happens. You can't control it. You're at their well, wings. Why if an airplane crash is so horrible because you can't do anything about an it. It's, and, and, and the reason hate crimes are so terrifying is they happen to you because of something that you were born with that you can't and wouldn't want to change. Or because of something you believe um, and, and nothing that you do can eliminate that inherent risk and when it can happen to you even in a gated community when you're walking home as a child um, with skittles in your pocket then the question is are you safe what makes hate crimes terrifying is the fact that it removes from us the the feeling that all of us have to have in society that at some level we're safe that we can wake up in the morning knowing we're safe and go to sleep knowing we're safe. Imagine not being able to do that, and it's your child. That's why it's so frightening. That's why we prosecute them stronger than we would just another murder. And But I think the reason people are arguing about whether or not there was a racial slur on the 911 tape, which some have definitively reported as true, and some are saying it's not clear, um, is because of that enhanced... I mean, there's, there is... Uh, that's the federal hate crime statute, you know, and uh, we have them locally as well, which add to the amount of time a person would do and the severity of the punishment, right? Yes. Uh, let's go to R.W. from Victorville. Good morning, R.W. Good to hear from you. It's definitely clear. R.W., you're on the yes, air. Talk yes, to me. Thank you, Dominique. Uh, good morning, front page family. It's just, uh, I've been listening to this case go on and on and on. But uh, looking at that Florida law standby man in there, he's a self-appointed neighborhood watchman. Also, so he's not in an organized situation. 
Um, I'm trying to find out where does the use of deadly force come in at? Okay, I mean, I've seen you know many neighborhood. I've been in park neighborhood watch programs before, but I ain't never had it where we had had authorization to use of deadly force. Okay, all during the 911 case, we see this man being pursued. What happened to observe and report until the law officials get there? This man clearly took matters in his own hand. He disobeyed a lawful order. Uh, he was never picked up or questioned, which is normal procedures for any kind of homicide, let alone uh, what, whatever position he called himself trying to be All in. All of the this things that you're saying are, are true, R.W. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. There's yeah, nothing inherently hold, on, hold, on, hold on one second, R.W. Oh, go ahead. There's nothing inherently wrong with the concept of a neighborhood watch. And keep in mind, it's called neighborhood watch. It is not neighborhood militia. The two pr- main premises of it, this is neighbors watching out for, them, for each other. Um, no guns, no pursuit. It's not someone saying they're a neighborhood watch captain with a gun pursuing someone and saying, well, um, it, I had, it was self-defense. That has nothing to do with what neighborhood well, and, watch Well, and really the about. other thing is, I mean, this neighborhood watch association said this guy wasn't even part of it. So that's another, you know, that's another question mark. R.W., everything you listed was true, but what's your bottom line? My bottom line is is that we got to stand up for this justice in regards because, like they said, so many of these things go unreported. And people look at, you know, they are, this is just a uh, uh, race. Now, this is a racial hate crime trying to disguise up under the, uh, the law, and it needs to be stopped. And we got to keep the stand to it. Thank you, R.W. Yes. Good to hear from you. Don't be a stranger. Darlie from Hollywood, good morning. Darlie, you're radio free on 102.3 KJLH. Good morning, Dominique. Tal Talib and front page, front page family. Um, I have something to say about the um, Trayvon case. Um, you know, I, I feel like someone had to, had to have seen something. I swear, like someone had, there had to, have to be somebody driving by the other day. I'm walking down the street with some high heels on. I trip over a curb. Someone immediately says, are you okay? They're getting in their car. And I'm thinking, you know, where was, where was someone, where was the person, you know, driving around? Well, or, we have you know, numerous 9-11, but no, darling, we have numerous calls to 9-11. We have the little kid who saw, you know, um, Trayvon down from a distance outside. Mm-hmm. We have the girlfriend on the telephone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of like, witnesses in this right. case. Like, what more did they need? Like you said, do they need a reality TV show of the event? Like, okay, so I signed the petition and the color maybe, of paint and you know, I sent the... Um, yeah, maybe Jesus, Muhammad, you, you know? know? I mean, w- w- you know, what, do you, what is it? Right. Doesn't it seem like an avalanche of evidence? And there needs to be because the standard uh, to convict someone of a crime is that there's no reasonable doubt. Uh, not yeah, that but that's no, not the yeah. standard to arrest that's a person correct. for that's a crime. That's correct. But, but prosecutors make a decision to prosecute based on whether they think they can get a conviction. Uh, in this case, I think Judge Ross was absolutely right. There is way more than enough evidence here to get a conviction. Um, it, uh, the prosecutors haven't this announced whether they're going to pursue it, but they certainly should. It, it, the Florida prosecutors are pretty good at what they do. They put people in jail all the time for murder. Uh, they can do this, too. It is 538 in the morning, Radio Free Friday. More of your phone calls coming up. More with David Honick. He's the chief counsel of Florida's NAACP. And also, coincidentally, the president of the Minority Telecommunications Council. Oh, yeah. All that is on the agenda. It's the front page, Total Talk Expression, Radio Free 102.3, KJLH. It's time to get up. Get, get, get up. It's the front page. The front page. The front page. Page on Radio Free 102.3 KJLH. 
Radio Free Friday on the front page. Call now and bring the heat. Call 520-KJLH. Radio Free 102.3 KJLH returning to your phone calls and more conversation with David Honick, the Chief Counsel of Florida's NAACP and President of the Minority Telecommunications Council in just a moment. And I want to ask you, um, David Honick, how significant is this, the stepping aside of the police chief and then these investigators? And what is prompting it? Is it public pressure? It's no question it's public pressure. In fact, there was a three to two vote of no confidence by the uh, city council. That would never have happened if noise had not been made, if people had not spoken up. And my goodness, when there's a, a drunk driving case and someone hits a utility pole and no one is hurt, automatically, the first thing you do, you do a test to see was the person drunk? Was there alcohol in their system? Were there drugs in their system? You, you get, if there's a person that's hurt, you get evidence. If there's someone laying in the grass, you get scrapings. If there was a fight, you get you get stuff that you put in evidence bags um, because otherwise it'll be lost. Well, apparently very little or none of that was done in this case of a murder where the person was literally standing over the body, blood everywhere, with a gun, admitting to it they didn't do that. This is just unthinkable. Of course he has to resign. What do you attribute that to? I mean, you know, you could say it's sloppy, but it really feels like a cover-up. It really smacks of Old South. There is... There are some who just say, well, it's gross negligence, it's gross incompetence, but people are held to the standard of care of their profession. This was someone who was an experienced, for years, um, um, law enforcement uh, supervisor who certainly knows very well what the minimum standard is. And this was so far below it that you have to think that they just waved it off and said, this wasn't a murder that we would consider to be a murder. We'll just let it go. Uh, we trust this guy, and that's it. And so was it a cover-up? Probably. I don't know what was in the man's heart, but at the end of the day, it kind of looks like it was Well, it's just crazy because they looked at his record, and then he has assault on, a, on an officer, and most of the time, they, they're going to run your record. They run your record when they pull you over for a traffic ticket. And that's what seems really strange to me, because usually cops don't really appreciate people that jump cops. Yeah, you'd think that if there was a case where they would be most... Uh, um, anxious to uh, to arrest someone, it would be someone who has beaten up a cop. To let even that person go is just inexplicable. It, you can't explain it other than maybe they because it's, it's more than just gross negligence. I think it was probably a part of a cover-up. Very, very weird. And we have a lot of phone calls for you. I want to ask you, everyone wants to talk about Trayvon Martin, and rightly so, but we at the Black Media Alliance have been on a mission to find some balance um, to find some diversity of voices and some clear standards about not from the level of censorship but from the letter level of what does your employee handbook say what are your company standards what are our community standards of course that's an FCC question we took it to the city council um, our call for Los Angeles radio stations a notably clear channel to uh, stop sexist and racist hate talk on the air and some people say we shouldn't have done that the city council has no business intervening in this kind of a case how do you look at that city councils represent people who elect them 
and they speak on important issues of the day. And certainly they've issued resolutions praising radio stations for good things that they've done, and no one says, well, they're not, that's not their business. Of course it's their business. Now, what they can't do is something that coerces speech or tries to restrain speech or prefer one kind of speech over another with the force of government power. But the resolution doesn't do that. It simply expresses their views as representatives of, uh, of the people who elected them. Um, it, it's it's uh, advisory only. It's, there's nothing wrong with that resolution. It's a perfectly good resolution, and, and frankly, I think I was surprised anyone voted against it. I think the stations that to whom it was apparently directed ought to take it to heart, and I I hope that they have. I think they probably have. It was it was worded I think very carefully to avoid even the appearance of censorship. Um, I think the city council needs to be commended. Five fifty in the morning. Uh, we're going to take as many calls as we can before we pass the mic to Steve Harvey because he is up next. Ricky from Compton, you're on. Good morning. Good morning, Dominique. What's on your mind today? The, uh, you know, it's amazing how, how this thing has been put with such a spin on it to me. If you look at things that, that have happened, this guy uh, left his home to go track this guy as he would uh, we say was suspicious, right? Yes. Okay. I, I can't leave my home with my gun to come to you and rescue you and fire and kill a man and not be uh, arrested. I mean, you know, it's premeditated is what I'm looking at. You, you got in the car from your home. You went riding with your gun to go see what's up. And then when you get there, you fire a shot off at someone. That's that's premeditated. You know, we're looking at this thing from a totally okay, different Okay, well, let, since we're tight on time, Ricky, um, let's have uh, David respond to what you're saying, and thank you for your call. We don't know whether Mr. Zimmerman left his house saying, I'm going to find this specific person, Trayvon Martin, and kill him. Or whether he left saying, I'm going to find some black person and kill him. Or whether he said, I'm, I'm going to leave the house kind of with recklessly indifferent to whether I find, whether I kill someone that I'm going, that I'm going to find or may find. He'd apparently been out there before. If he went we out know. of the house, like uh, in the case of James Craig Anderson, you know, the three, uh, well, they were teens at the time. Pleading guilty on yesterday um, to that murder, and they will have the hate crimes enhancement, so they're looking at life. It reminds me a little bit of that. If they went out of the house and said, "We're going to find us an N-word," mm-hmm. is, isn't that premeditation? That would be for 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 without necessarily attacking that particular one. But yes, the thing is that's going to be very hard to prove. What is not hard to prove is that he this was an unprovoked. Well, not hard. Everything is hard in the courtroom, but I think it's certainly provable and it's proven every day in courtrooms uh, that this was a person who acted with kind of corrupt. Um, immoral intent, the kind of thing that you want to be able to punish with an enhancement. Um, if you were to ask me kind of what, how should it be charged, you don't want to overcharge or undercharge offenses, it's probably second degree murder. Molly, 
Emily Bell, City of Compton. I know you hate it when I rush you, but it's 553, Queen. Reparations in memory of our ancestors. Uh, good morning to you, Dominique, your staff. Good morning, uh, David Haneke, the front page family. Special good morning to Steve, be love himself, Stevie Wonder. Uh, thank Najee Ali and UKJLH for all that took part in the solidarity rally at Trayvon Martin's at Le, for Trayvon Martin at uh, Lamert Park. My question to you, and I'll listen to your comments off the air, David Haneke, is that racial profiling is still alive. Uh, like we still had the town passes in South Africa, still alive. Going back to the days of freedom passes during state, slavery, still alive. My question to you is, we as black people, we don't racial profile. Because if we did, white men who drive through our community would be stopped. They are statistically the pedophiles, the molesters, and the serial killers. Listen to your comments off the air. All you prayer warriors, keep fasting and praying because the struggle continues. But always, to God be the glory. Thank you, Dominique. Thank you, Molly Bell. Do you have any comment on what Molly Bell said? Certainly, um, I'm thinking of the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, it, it was very uncommon uh, back in the day to find uh, white men in the neighborhood I lived in unless they were there to try to buy drugs or they were uh, police officers trying to find someone to beat up or so, or a landlord collecting rent uh, or trying to find prostitutes. Uh, there were very few people who were there because they were trying to perform community service or work in the food bank. Um, teachers would tend not to stay in the neighborhood after school closed. I don't know whether things have changed in really, really depressed neighborhoods or not in that respect but you can but I can certainly see how someone who lives in such a neighborhood would be suspicious of a lot of white men driving around at night in their pickup truck you know given uh, given that history okay let's go to uh, Mary from Compton good morning Mary Mary um, good morning and thank you so much uh, to your guests for answering the question that I had about the city council making the resolution on um, the station that we're uh, dealing with KFI they do not uh, I do not hear a change in KFI it's the sister station there's still a problem on that station and if you call that station you don't get to, as black people we don't get to give our comments like we do on this station and I am well, so we want you to keep they, listening to this station, Mary. Well, that's we what, we, that's we, what we really want. Well, I do. We don't I, need I, sensitivity training saying, and city I, council I resolutions. Listen, I don't listen to the other station, but my point <laughs> is the sister station I do, and I appreciate what they've been doing, but still. But that's, only, that's, I hey, have that's only going to change. But, Mary, policy. that's only going on for three weeks, so appreciate it fast. I, I'm appreciating it <laughs> fast, but still, KFI has still not changed their policy. All right, Mary. And that's what needs to be dealt with. Uh, I know this, you know, this is not a Florida matter, but it kind of is because Rush Limbaugh is, is broadcast all over the country and the issue of hate speech and the, and the far right wing uh, bent of talk radio nationally, the exclusion of women, the exclusion of people of color, which I feel slants our democracy. That's a national issue. What's your comment? And it's funny because 
people who uh, like Rush Limbaugh, their answer to that is, well, but liberals control all the other media, but they really don't. According you, to who, yeah. Know, if you look at who's in the morning talk shows on Sunday morning on... You mean Rupert uh, Murdoch, yeah, that liberal? It's, 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 um, <laughs> it just isn't true. Um, and, and the reason is sort of structural. Um, it, it, it's a, in, in a commercial-driven media, those with wealth always uh, have an advantage. Now, uh, there's a 20 to 1 racial wealth gap um, inherited, of course, over generations affecting African Americans. 18 to 1 wealth gap for Latinos. 20% wage disparity. 16% unemployment. Uh, white unemployment is about 7.5%. So with those uh, markers of lack of wealth, it's kind of no wonder that there isn't access to the instruments of power, uh, which include the mass media. 5.57. Wow, we're going to have to get a really short version of a comment. Eugene's been holding on for a long time, so I'm going to him. Eugene, you're on. Hello? Hi, you're on the air. I, I need it short, though. I appreciate your patience, but we're almost at the end of the uh, of the road here. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, thank you. Uh, I was at the rally yesterday, and I was just saying, I have a 17-year-old, and now, okay, that was nice that we had the rally and we have marches. Now we need to have constructive, uh, positive action. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, that was really short. Thank you, um, Eugene. Yeah, what follows a rally? What follows the protests? What follows the news stories? It seems like sometimes these things just sort of fade to black, pardon the expression. And then, you know, we don't hear anything else about it. Well, look at the time period between 1955, Montgomery bus boycott, and 1964, the passage of the Civil Rights Act, uh, the Fair Housing Act in, in 1968, the, the, the Voting Rights Act in 65. What happened during that period? There was a movement. There wasn't just one rally, everyone at home, and hit a key for change.org. That's great to do, but we're going to need more rallies. We're going to need more people to mobilize. We're going to need to get on buses and go to Florida and go to Washington. There's another rally in Sanford, Florida. Uh, maybe too far to come from Los Angeles, but it's March 31st. And we're going to have to have more to keep the pressure on. Because as soon as people think that no one cares, no one will act as though they should care. And then it drops out of the news cycle, and then we move on. Um, David, is there a website or information where people can reach you if they um, are interested in, in contacting you, finding out more about uh, what they can do to help uh, the NAACP? And that is the uh, site uh, for the national organization, and of course it has um, uh, material about the Trayvon Martin case. Um, the organization I run, the Minority Media and Telecom Council, is uh, mmtconline.org, and we are focused on civil rights in the media and telecom industries. And we'll have those posted on kglhradio.com. Thank Thanks for getting up early and hanging with us. Thanks, Thank Jazz Mechanic, uh, as well, for your great work. And <laughs> She's tired. Yeah. Okay, as she should be. Uh, the March for Trayvon Martin... Um, Oh, it's going to be, there's one Sunday, actually, at 2 o'clock on Crenshaw Exposition. There's one in Hollywood uh, this weekend as well. Um, you can, wow. we'll have that stuff up. We'll find it, we'll post it, DominiqueDupreme.com. We got to go. Steve Harvey's got a radio show. Um, and I'm going to take us back once again, because whenever we get in these hard struggles, got to remember, I like to take the words of Jim Brown from his Amer I Can curriculum. Let's take a deep breath in and let us release. Today, let me remember, success is a journey and not a destination. Till next time, Radio Free Family, be well.
One love.